today. Can't wait for today. Can't wait for this day to start. It's gonna be a good day. Got my nice shirt on, got my cologne on. I'm ready. I am ready. I am so ready. Whoa. What's this light that just turned on? Community? Why is that light on? Better check it out. Don't wanna risk anything. Pull over real quick. This is weird. I called 1-800-fix-my-car. I gotta tell them that my community light is on. Oh, okay, them. Hey, buddy, can you help me out? Yeah, sure. What's yeah. going on? I see, I was driving my car, and I was supposed to have a good day today, mm -hmm. but my community light turned on, and mm -hmm. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why my community light turned on. Well, lucky for you, my brick oh. is community. Oh, wait. Uh, That's wrong so cool. Oh. Um, so, yeah, well, can you help, like, so, I was going to go to the mechanic, but I don't really know much about cars. Can you come with me and help me? I really appreciate uh, yeah, it. Yeah, man. man, sure, no problem. Oh, thanks. Let's thanks. do Get it. Get yeah, yeah, yeah. Still going to be a good day. You know, man, I really appreciate you coming with me to the mechanic, you know. Sure. I really appreciate it. No problem. Wait, wait a second. My community light just turned off right when you got in the car. Wow. That's, what a coincidence. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's great. That's cool. You, I mean, do you still want to come with me as a mechanic, you know, so you can help me out? Um, Yeah, you know what, I'll come with you just in case it comes back on that way, you know, just to make sure nothing happens. Okay. Thank you, okay. man. No problem. You're the best. You're the best. It's still going to be you. a good day. Yes, it will. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first live part in our new series, The Body Shop. And for those who weren't here last week, none of us were here last week because of the snow, but we did begin the series, and we did it from the with the help of technology from uh, one of our homes. And I hope you got a chance to get caught up this past week. If you didn't, let me tell you what this series is all about in a nutshell. Recap quickly what I talked about last week. We are in a six-week journey into The Body Shop to discover what does it mean and what does it take to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. And if you're kind of new to church and church speak, body of Christ is another term meaning the church. And what does it mean to be a member of the church? What we talked about last week is that the greatest honor that each one of us is given by God is that he picks us up from wherever it is that we come from and he says, you get to be part of my eternal family. You get to be part of an entity or an organism, not an organization, an organism because it's living, which will endure forever, of which I, God, am the head and you as the people are the body. And we talked about last week how that's my identity. Like that's the greatest thing that I get to say in life is someone says greater than my ethnicity, greater than my family name, greater than my, uh, my occupation. Greatest thing that I can say is I am a member of the body of Christ. I am a member of the church. So what we're looking at in this series is what does that mean? And what does that entail? Because we don't want, as our friends in the, in the video showed us, we don't want to end up in a place where something isn't working and something isn't working the way it's supposed to be because it will get you in trouble in life. 
The expression that I used last week based on Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Let's say the verse, and I'll give you the expression. It says, St. Paul speaks about the church. He says, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Last week, I said a big word, all right? And it was a big word that had four syllables in it, all right, to describe the nature of the church. And you remember what that big word was? Begins with a TH. It was theanthropic, okay? Theanthropic, which makes me sound very, very smart until you find out that it's not that big a word after all. Because it really is two words, which you already know what they are. The first half is the, okay, comes from theos. And theos is a Greek word which means God. Okay, theology, study of God. Okay, theos is God. Anthro uh, anthropic comes from anthropos, and that means man. That's why anthropology is the study of mankind. So theanthropic means something that the official definition is embodies deity in human form. That's what the church is. It is God in human form. Now, when I say to you God in human form, you should automatically think of one person who is Jesus Christ because he was God who took flesh. Well, I'm telling you the same belief that we have about Christ who he's God in the flesh, we believe about the church, which is the church is the body of Christ. Means that the church, here you look around and you see people, okay? And people here is what you see. And you see annoying people and obnoxious people and tall people and short people and light people and dark people and loud people and quiet people. And people, 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 people. But what you don't see is inside those people, the fullness of him who fills all in all dwells. Just like when Jesus walked around in this earth, People saw a man and, you know, the picture with the long hair and the sandals and the robe and everything like that. But what they didn't see is the fullness of God dwelt in that man. And so every now and then he would touch a sick person. They'd say, oh, that's not a regular man. Or he would, everyone else would go underneath the water. He would just go straight on top of the water. They'd say, oh, inside that flesh is not an ordinary man. That's the body of Christ here. That's the church. It's a theanthropic organism because it's alive, which appears on the outside to be regular people. Chairs, coffee, a video, screen, podium, stuff. But inside is the fullness of him who fills all in all. That attitude which I just said, which I just described, is different than the prevalent attitude of many even Christians in America today. Because the prevailing attitude, the cool thing to say these days is, I love God, I don't need the church, right? That I love Jesus, I don't need the church. I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Whatever that means, which means absolutely nothing. That's the cool thing to say. And we don't need the church and just love God. Yeah, church is okay. You kind of, you should go every now and then and be a good person, but it isn't critical to my relationship with God. Really, if that's what you think, I think Christ, the head of the church, actually had a different attitude. And I get it from this verse, Acts 20, verse 28. It says that, therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd. Here's the important part. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The value of the church is determined by the price that was paid for the church. And the price that was paid for the church is the blood of Christ. Jesus shed his blood for the church. If I say to you, I said this last week, if you remember, I say to you, the church is my blank. Fill in the blank. The church is what to me? The church to me is salvation. You know why? Because if I say to you, Jesus died and Jesus shed his blood for your, you would automatically say for my salvation. Jesus shed his blood for my salvation. Anyone disagree with that statement? Jesus shed his blood for my salvation. Anyone disagree? 
We agree. He died for my salvation. Well, this verse says he died for the church. So therefore, the church is my salvation. And this makes sense logically to us because what is salvation? Like break salvation down into what it is at its core. Salvation is unity with Christ. Salvation is to be one with God. That's what salvation means, to be saved from this, to be one with God. And where is the context in which we are made one with God? In the church, in the context of the body of Christ. The picture that we saw last week is the church is like the Ark of Noah. Remember, I showed you that picture? Church is the Ark of Noah. And in the Ark of Noah, you had a wooden ship, okay, a boat, and anyone who was inside there found salvation, and those who were outside perished. Well, that's the image that we say of the church. Now, with that said, I'm not saying anyone who's not a part of this church will not be saved. I'd like to say that. That might boost membership a little bit, but I can't really say that in all honesty, that you have to be part of this church. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, a global, okay, something that is, we say, the Catholic church, the universal church, which existed from, from back in the first century, to be part of that church. And I can't necessarily define what that means, but I'll tell you this, that if you're outside that, it's going to be tough for you to find the fullness of what God has in store for your life. That's why it's what we said last week, is that God has a plan for my life at an individual level, but also as part of his body, and I cannot know one without the other. I cannot know the will of God outside of the body of Christ. I cannot know the will of God outside of the context of a family. God never wanted, envisioned his people to live alone. In the Old Testament, it was the tribes of Israel. God communicated with the tribes. It was all about the tribes. New Testament, it was the 12 apostles. It was always in the context of that community. In the kingdom of heaven, we don't read about individuals in heaven. If you read in the book of Revelation, it doesn't talk about individuals. It talks about thousands of thousands and myriads of myriads. And it talks about groups. It doesn't talk about individuals because that's not God's vision for us as an individual isolated life. But as part of something bigger. So what we're talking about in this series is what does that mean? And we said last week that when you go to the hospital, you go first thing you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you say, you go just for regular checkup. First thing they do is they check your vital signs. All right, they go and they check, you know, your temperature, your heart rate, you know, whatever it is that may be, the, whatever your vitals. Same thing, if we have a car, we go to the mechanic, are he going to go and he can check the most important things to see, make sure everything's working right? Well, that's what we're doing right here. And in this series, we're taking a look at the five vital signs to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. And it's based on the book of Acts, chapter 2. And the assumption that we're making is that in Acts, chapter 2, the guys, Peter and James and John and, and, and those guys were healthy in their understanding of the church and in their practice of what it means to be a member of the church. So that's the assumption that that Acts 2 group, that group was healthy and that we, me and you may say, or oh, all life might not look like theirs. That's the goal is to get back to that, is to see how they live their lives. And from there, from the book of Acts, we see, like I said, five vital signs of what does it take to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. And you see them there. We're going to go through one every week, community, worship and prayer, uh, giving, or I'm sorry, growing and spiritual growth, sacrifice and giving, and then witnessing and evangelism. And today we're going to jump into the first one, everyone's favorite topic, every church's favorite topic, the biggest buzzword and jargon word you can hear in any church is the word community or fellowship. You can use the two interchangeably. Every church talks about fellowship. Every church talks about community. Come join us for community. We have community here. We have fellowship here. And no one knows what that means. No one knows what that means. What does that mean? I say community. Come have community. Come have fellowship. For some people, it means we go on a retreat together. 
Fellowship. Come on this retreat. We'll have fellowship. Let's go out for ice cream. Fellowship. Come help me move. Fellowship. Okay. <laughs> fellowship is just one of those words that we throw out there. We don't really know what it means. But I say, as someone famously said about something else, which I won't refer to, fellowship or community is the kind of thing that you can't define it, but you know when you see it. Our goal here today is to try to dig into what does this community word mean and try to come up with a definition and an understanding of it because too many people have a misunderstanding of what community means. And I'm going to show you that today, that without this, without a proper understanding of community, you cannot be all that God wants you to be. I'm going to give you the definition up front, and then we'll break it down the rest of our time here together. I say community, if you had to break it down, in a two-word definition, is sharing life. Community is sharing life. And specifically, I'll break that down into two components. A, investing in the lives of others. And B, opening up so that others can invest in my life. Community is sharing life. It is me investing in the lives of others. And it is me opening up to allow others to invest in my life. I like the word investment. Too often, you thought I'm going to say community is love. That's what you thought I was going to say. Fellowship is love one another. You know what I discovered about the word love? Love means nothing to anyone anyway. Love doesn't mean anything. Love means every person here defines love in a different way. I say I love God. I say I love my neighbor. I say I love pepperoni pizza. I say I love snow days. I say I love my wife. I say I love my new shoes. Love, love, love. But is my relationship with my God... Same as with my neighbor, same as with my shoes, same as with my snow days, with my wife, with pizza. The difference between all those loves, get rid of the word love. I'm going to talk about it from an investment standpoint. Clearly, hopefully, I do not invest the same in my relationship with God as I do in my relationship with pepperoni pizza. The investment is different. The investment between my relationship with my wife versus my relationship with my new shoes especially the relationship with the wife, invested, okay, cost is much higher, okay, than just the shoes, all right? In a nice way, not in a bad way. But you know what I'm trying to say. Community is the same way. It's not about love. I love everybody. I sit in my home like a miserable person. I lock my door and I say, yeah, I love everybody. That ain't community. You called, forget about the word love. Community is investment. And when you look back to the people who gave us the healthy church, they were invested in the lives of one another and they opened their lives so that others could invest in them. And that is what we so greatly lack in the world today. Romans chapter 12, verse five, gives us a picture of what that community is supposed to look like. We being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We being many members individually but together we are one body. And just as you see my body up here on this stage, my right hand is invested in my left hand. And my left hand is invested in my left foot. And both of them are invested in my brain. And each of them has a stake in my ears and my nose and my eyes and everything else working. That's the way we are to be as the body of Christ. Many members, different shapes and sizes and skills and personalities, different members, but one body invested in one another and opening ourselves up to allow others to invest in ourselves. We're going to break this definition down of sharing life and investing my life. And we're going to break it into four levels, we can say. Four levels. And it's a progression. All right? 
of level one to level two to level three. Le our goal is to get to level four, but you can't start at level four. You kind of go one, two, three, four. And as we go through this, this progression, this ladder, you're going to see yourself. Where do you fall on this progression? Where are you in your journey to this point of fellowship and community the way God intended it to be? Four levels that signify your investment in the church of God. Level number one is investment is membership, choosing to belong. Level number one of investment is membership, choosing to belong. Many people here today are visiting for the first time. Many people today are just kind of checking us out. And let me say with all my heart, we welcome you with open arms. We're so happy that you are here to join us. And that makes us so happy. They don't care if it's your first time, second, doesn't matter. We're so happy that you're here. But my hope is that one day you, not any from pressure from me, I'm never gonna say it to you, my hope is that one day you will come to me and say, Father Anthony, I want to make a commitment to be a member here at this church. I want to make a commitment to invest in this church and to be a part of the body here at STSA, this local body, okay, which is a piece of the great body of the church of God. We live in an era where we, our generation, sorry to say it, we hate commitment. Don't we? We don't like to commit to anything. We like to reserve committing until the last possible minute. We have a dead, we wanna we go on this uh, uh, conference, sign up for the conference. First question we're gonna ask is, when's the deadline? When's the last possible minute I can sign up? Come to this event, okay, let me see who's going first. The who's going first thing, right? Check on Facebook, see who's going first before I commit myself to an event that I don't know who's gonna be. We hate commitment and I understand a lot of the factors that played into that are out of our control. A lot of us grew up in homes where the people who were supposed to be the most committed to us hurt us. So I understand, I don't blame anybody for the lack of commitment that is kind of inside us. But I will tell you this, the effect of the non-committed life is clearly seen by the spiritual homelessness that most many people today exhibit. Spiritually homeless kind of hopping in and out of church to church to church to church and kind of over here for a little bit and then we kind of go over here for a little bit and over here and then we end up homeless in a spiritual sense that we have no family, that we have no home. We have no place, like I wanted to play, but I didn't, but I wanted to play the, the song from Cheers. Remember the song from Cheers, okay? The everyone, uh, everyone, uh, making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Uh, taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Y'all don't know the song, but cheers, the most famous ever. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody <laughs> Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. It's the most successful sitcom in the history of television, all right? Before all your, your newfangled TV shows that are on these days. There's good shows back in the day, all right? Sometimes you want to go. Does any, do you have a place where everybody knows your name? A place that you can call home. A place that you can say, this is my family. Unfortunately, the lack of commitment to a church family has led to shallow Christianity. Because you know why? What you need, what we need is depth. And depth takes a commitment and an investment. We need roots, and our problem is we lack that. Watch this verse right here from Acts chapter four, verse 32. Tell me how nice this sounds. And let's pretend this is not from the Bible. Let's pretend this was a real verse about real people living in 2015. It says, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. That's not Bible. Let's pretend that's real. They were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own 
but they had all things in common. If I told you a family existed like that, a church family, a body existed where there were one heart, one soul, nothing belonged to me, everything I had belonged to you, you would say, sign me up. You would say, this sounds great. Well, I'm telling you, this doesn't come quickly. This doesn't happen if you visit a different church every week. You're not gonna get connected that way. This happens when people commit and they take a step and say, I am going to invest here and I'm going to lay roots here. And then over the course of time, this is the result of it. But I hope this is not just uh, something of the past, but something that we can actually realize. With each of these levels of investment, I wanna give you a practical step. Something that you, you say, so in case you say, I wanna take this step. I haven't done this step, I wanna take this step. I'll give you something practical with each one, the next step. Step here, join a membership group. Join a membership group. For those who have never heard of the membership group that we have here at STSA, it is a six week group, not a class. I don't like to say membership class because class is academic. I don't believe in that you need to have knowledge to be part of the church. I think you need to be part of the family and you get to know the family. So what we do in the membership group, six weeks, meet a few times throughout the year. We're actually in the middle of one right now, meet on Saturday nights. And we talk about what does it mean? Okay, those who have gone through, you heard me say this a thousand times. What does it mean to be a Christian? And then at a deeper level, what does it mean to be an Orthodox Christian? Because we are an Orthodox Christian church here. So what does that mean? And then finally, what does it mean to be an STSA Orthodox Christian? Because within Christianity, there's different kinds. We're Orthodox. Within Orthodox Christianity, you got churches all over the place. We at STSA, we're special kinds of people around here, aren't we? So you need to know what does that mean? And in that process, you connect with our church, its history, our church, the Orthodox church history, but also our little church's three-year history, which we're approaching right now, three years, and where we came from, why we do what we do. In there, I tell you, the, 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 I always tell the story of how the church was founded and the miracle which took place, which allowed the church to be what it is today. Like a full-on miracle took place, and I tell that story the very, very last session so that you need to know this. I feel like when I tell the story of the church, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel had a great miracle when they crossed the Red Sea. They were slaves to Pharaoh. God did the 10 plagues and he took them out and they crossed the Red Sea. And God told them, he said, from now on, you pull your children once a year. That was the feast of Passover. You pull your children on the feast of Passover and you tell them this story that took place so that they always remember the miracle of God freeing his people and establishing, quote unquote, that church, okay, that body of Christ, that family. And that's what they used to do. And I'm sure the kids would say, we don't want to hear this story anymore. This story is boring. We want to watch TV. We want to play video games. And the parents say, sit down and listen to the story because it's an important story. Well, I say the same thing as a member of this family. I don't want to hear the story. Sit down and listen to the story because you need to because you wouldn't be here today without the story of this church. In addition, the membership group is not just a chance to learn, but it's a chance to relate because the church is people. Church isn't, like if church was just knowledge, I'd give you a book. Say, read this and you join the church. But church isn't a book. Church is a family. I need to know brothers and sisters in the family. I, y'all call me Father Anthony. So if I'm Father Anthony, that's supposed to mean that I am I'm the father of the family right here, that we need to have a relationship together. That's why I'm, I'm at every one of the, the membership group sessions, even though I missed last night, but I'm always at every one, but sometimes I missed one, I missed one last night. I'm there because I need to have a relationship with you as, as a brother and sister and as a son and as a daughter and as a father and a child. Like we need to have a relationship together. 
So get rid of this idea that the church is just something that I just show up and I visit over there. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for visiting churches. I'm not, I'm not against it. Like, don't think I'm saying it that way. But my hope is that you at one point in time make a commitment and make an investment. Say, I want to be part of this. And I'm sick and tired of being a little here and a little there and a little there. I want to grow deep roots. I want to get to know these people. Like I see them every week. We say hi and bye. All we do is we have coffee together. I want to get to know these people. I want to make an investment here. And I tell you, if that's what you want to do, you take this step and you join the membership group. Once you do that, you'll quickly, hopefully, be led to level two of investment. And level two, we move from membership to friendship. From membership to friendship, learning to share. As members, we stand together as one family. But the goal is not just to be a family together. The goal is to invest and share in one another's lives. And the step for this one is really easy. You heard me say this a thousand times. And if you don't know this step by now, you haven't been here in a while. Step is easy. Join a life group. Join a life group. Life groups, in case you don't know what a life group is. Actually, let's do this. I mean, do raise your hand if you are either currently participating in a life group or have participated in a life group here over the past couple of years. Raise your hand if you've been part. Look at that. That's fantastic. Put your hands down. That's fantastic. My hands went up because I'm part of a life group as well. Meets later today as soon as we finish. Life group, what we do is a couple times throughout the year, a group of people meet together in someone's home, not here in a church, in someone's home, because we pay rent here. We don't pay rent in someone's home. But a group of people, it's usually about eight to 12 people. Sometimes they're married people. Sometimes they're single people. Sometimes they're women's groups. Sometimes they're men groups. Sometimes they're mix of every kind of thing, whatever it may be. And the whole point is to get together less quantity, more quality. You cannot have high quality with the 200 people that's sitting here in this room today. This is great, and we love this, but this is not high quality in relationship. This is high by, what's your name, what do you do, right? Hey, I'm this, what do you do? That's it, that's as far as you get. Maybe, where do you live? That's as far as you can get. But when we meet together in a home once a week, and we do them for six week sessions, kind of like a semester system. So right now, we're kind of in like the spring semester, so to speak, and then we'll do again in the summer, and then we'll do again in the, in the fall. It's a chance that we can go deeper and our relationship together and begin to share life. This particular life group series, okay, every life group kind of has like a theme. This one, we're actually doing a discussion based on, on this topic of the body shop. So we're having the meeting on, on Sunday right here, and then we go off throughout the week into our different groups and discuss this, this particular topic. In the summer, it, it won't be that way. It'll be, someone will say, we want to do a women's study about this. More power to you, that's a life group. Someone say, we want to do a men's group about this. Some say, we want to do a study about like, this book in the Bible, whatever it may be. The concept is, outside of church, deeper and less quantity. Why is that important? A few verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, especially as the day is approaching. And day, capital D, means the big day. Okay, the end day as the end is approaching. Why? Why? The St. Paul here in this verse say that as we get closer to the end, especially, he connects our judgment day, connects that with gathering together and assembling together in life groups, so to speak. Assembling of our, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why? What's the connection between assembling and judgment? What's the connection? You want to know why? As so much more of the day is approaching? 
because we all need help. And as the day approaches, we're all going to stand in front of the throne of God one day. We're all going to stand in front of the throne of God one day. And our lives will be exposed. And I know that there's areas in my life, there are times, for example, when I am doubting that I need someone next to me to pick me up. There are times where I'm frustrated, I want to throw in the towel, that I need somebody to pick me up and kick me in the pants. There are times where I got blind spots in my life that I just cannot see. And I need someone to look me in the eye and say, hey, you got a problem right here and you need to fix this. We need each other. And especially as the day approaches, we that much more need each other because all of us, none of us are complete in of ourselves that we're perfect and we need to lean on one another and pick one another up. That's why Ecclesiastes chapter four, Solomon the wise says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Watch this for those who are spiritually homeless. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to pick him up, to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Logic. Saying you got two, they keep each other warm. But one, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The saddest thing to me, the saddest thing to me, is people, isolated people, need of help, and got no one there to help them. And even worse, blaming the people who they never invested in for not investing in them. The people who they never invest in for not investing in them. I heard a story not too long ago about a lady who was found dead in her apartment. And I remember hearing it, it was like after like several weeks or months, I don't know what it was. Like she was found dead in her apartment and no one knew about it, she lived alone. So I went on the internet to try to find the story. So I typed in like lady died in the apartment, like I don't know, whatever I typed. And you know, I couldn't find her story. You know why? I found like 30 or 40 stories of this actually happening. There, this happens a lot more frequently than you would realize. People living alone, isolated lives, they die in their apartment, and because they invested in no one other than themselves, they're not found until weeks later. Let me tell you the worst one of all, and you can search me on this, we go online and look when you go home. I checked it on multiple sources. A Croatian lady in London, a Croatian lady, had been dead for 42 years. I'm serious. 42 years. She was born in 1924, died in 1966, and found in 2008. And you, I was going to bring the picture up here. It is a grotesque picture. Because she died like while watching TV or something like that or sitting in a chair. And the cup of tea is still right there on the nightstand. And she's sitting right there, and it's, it's disgusting. And I brought a, a quote from the police report. Okay? Said, you know, the officers, whatever, whatever. When the officers went in there, they said it was like stepping into a place frozen in time. She'd been died in 1966. They found her in 2008. They, uh, a place frozen in time. The cup she had been drinking tea from was still on the table next to the chair she had been sitting in, and the house was full of things, apartment, was full of things that no one had seen for decades. Nothing had been disturbed for decades, even though there were more than a few cobwebs in there. Later from the report, a neighbor, okay, they asked the neighbor. I still remember her. She was a quiet woman who kept to herself, but she was polite. We all thought she had just moved out to live with relatives. Horrible story. That's never going to happen to any one of us. But what if it happens to us spiritually? Do you think it could happen spiritually? That one day someone walks in and they see just a dead person, spiritually, not physically. 
spiritually dead. It had been dead for years. No one knows. Do you have someone who knows if you die spiritually today? Like if you drop dead spiritually, I'm not talking physically, spiritually, you lose hope. You despair. You're frustrated. You're done. You can't take it. You lose faith. That happens today. Is anyone going to be there tomorrow? That notices? That cares? Do you have someone praying for you, caring about you, that invested in you? If not, that's tragedy. If you don't have a person or a group of people who are invested in you, then the thing you need to do is invest in others. People invest in those who invest in themselves. Like invest in them. Like I invest in you, therefore you will be invested in me. And if I have no one invested in me, I can sit here and cry about it or I could get up off my couch and go begin investing in the lives of others and then it'll reciprocate. That's what the apostles taught us, is Acts 2. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The two components of the church meeting. Where did the church meet? And met together in the temple and then breaking bread from house to house. Temple, house to house. Temple is the modern day church. We meet together once a week and we celebrate the Eucharist together and we join together as the body of Christ. This is very important. This is meeting in the temple. But then the temple finishes and we meet from house to house and we take off our shoes and we break bread and we laugh and we tell stories and we eat our food with gladness and simplicity of heart. If you are missing either one of these, if you're missing temple or house to house, it's not complete. Your life is not complete. And you're in danger of dying and no one noticing. First level we said is membership, choosing to belong, saying, I want to invest. I want to lay down roots here. I've been spiritually homeless. I've been hopping around church to church. I, 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 everywhere I go, I find something wrong with that church. Everywhere I go, I criticize. I just like a little bit here, a little bit here. No more of that. I'm invested. I'm going to say, this is my church. Now this is my church. I need to begin to share life because that's the definition. I'll begin investing in others through a life group, okay? And I will allow others to invest in me. Third thing I'm going to do, third level is partnership, which is doing my part. And even this little guy showed us what it's all about. Partnership is doing my part. Community is about more than just taking. It's about more than just being a consumer. At some point in time, if you want to go deeper in your relationship with the church, you need to become a contributor, not just a consumer. Verses from the scriptures. First Peter chapter four, verse 10. I'll go through these verses quickly because there's a lot of them. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Each person in this community was gifted with something that I don't have. Like I have a gift and here I am on the stage using my gift. And if I don't use my gift, then the church won't be complete. Well, I'm saying you have a gift too. And if you don't use your gift, the church won't be complete either. More verses, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Everyone has chores to do in the house of God. What's the difference between a guest in the house versus a member of the house? You come over to my house, you're a guest. We make you food, you eat the food, you leave. You're a member of the house, you roll up your sleeves, you pick up the dishes, you do the dishes, you throw the trash in the trash can. Members of the house have chores versus guests who just come and go. And who else? Even Jesus himself says the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
I'll give you one more verse. This is my favorite verse. And this is a verse that every time I think of this verse, I want to take this verse and I want to hang it up all over the wall, especially in that corner where the coffee and the snacks are. It says, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. <laughs> no coffee for you, in other words. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And St. Paul was very, very, very clear. You ain't just coming here to drink coffee and have your little bananas and little snacks and, and say someone needs to pick up, empty the trash. Someone really should move that stage over there. Who put that wire? You're not just coming here to, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. We're going to print this and put them all over there. <clears throat> That's why. I talked earlier about the membership group that we do. At the very end of the membership group, the very, very end, we talk about who we are as a church, and we talk about what does it mean to be a member of the church. And at the very, very end, we ask each person, not ask, we ask, okay, encourage, each person to take a test. And that test is a strengths test to help identify what their strengths are in life. And then we encourage them to join a volunteer team. This is what I challenge you to do if you are not currently doing it. If you are membership, all right, and then friendship, I challenge you to take that third level of partnership and join a volunteer team, to be part of the team and to do what your role is. The goal of this church, there's no such thing as a one-man show. There's no such thing as the church is Father Anthony. I'm up here and I stand on, like I said, I have a gift and I use my gift according to the best of my abilities. But I'm up here and you see this, you don't see the assembly line that takes place to make this happen. You just see me up here, but you don't see the assembly line before and you don't see the assembly line after. What we have here going on right now is a perfect picture of how each one does their part starting from the beginning of the people who come and they set this stuff up and they make the stage. I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for the stage and this podium and the computer and stuff like that. The people who set up that AV stuff and make this microphone work. The people who set up the snacks there because if you don't have a snack, you cannot listen to the word of God. You know that. You would leave, okay? And if you were here, you'd be angry at me if you didn't have nice coffee in your belly, nice snacks, something like that. The people who stand back there at the connection table and welcome the people and guide the people and I make 10,000 announcements here and I say, just go back there and they'll tell you what to do. And they answer your questions and they make you say, Father Anthony's not crazy. Okay, this is what he meant to say right here. And those nice people do that. How about the people who take care of our children so we can have an hour of peace and quiet and, and from their craziness they provide us? Man, what we see up here, and that's just, that's just off the top of my head. What you see right here is the perfect story of everyone doing their part. And I don't take care of no one's kids. I don't know how to make a cup of coffee. My life depended on it. And I don't set this stuff up. And I couldn't push. I just push buttons. I just turn volume up. I don't do anything over there. But when everyone does their part, when everyone does their part, that's the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. This, if you want to like rip my heart open and know who I am, I believe so much in this. I believe so much in this, that you have a gift that I do not have. And you have a gift that no one else in this room has. And if you don't use that gift, no one's going to use that gift. Like you have something that makes you unique to everybody else. I have a gift, I use it. My humble opinion, my job is the easiest of them all. I think my job is easier than all those other people that I said that do their stuff, but that's, hey, I, it is what it is. Each one, you have a gift. And if you don't use your gift, it was given to you not for your own sake. It was given to you for the profit of all. 
And let me tell you this, as a father, I got two children. If I give my son something, and I say, this is for you and for you to help your sister, to share with your sister, he doesn't use it to help his sister. What am I gonna do with that gift? I'm gonna take it back. If I say, I gave you this money, get yourself and your sister some lunch. He doesn't buy his sister lunch, I'm taking that money back. And if God gives us a gift for the profit of all, and we keep it to ourselves, he's probably gonna take it back at some point in time. What does this have to do with fellowship? What is volunteering and, 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 and doing my part have anything to do with fellowship? Well, on two levels. Number one, the primary problem with fellowship and community is that we're selfish. So volunteering teaches me to be unselfish. I have to have something unselfish in my life. Every day of my life is selfish. The reason I go to work is selfish. The reason that I, I watch TV is selfish. Selfish, 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 selfish. Everything is selfish. There's gotta be something in my life which is not selfish. There's gotta be a part of my day, part of my week where I say, you know what? I gain nothing from this. I have to do something unselfish. Has to be. Second thing is, is it does build community. I'd, like for example, I just use the setup team as an example because I, I, I work closely with the setup team. There isn't a group of people that has more fun than the setup team. There isn't a group of people that has more fun than the setup team. Believe me. It's not as miserable as, as it sounds. Who wants to come early and set up? Believe me, they're in a group of people who laughs more, both at themselves and at one another, okay, and has more fun than the setup team. And I'm telling you that I'm sure people have found community and fellowship through just being part of the setup team. I'm sure the same thing with the hospitality team, and I'm sure with the kids team, and, the, and all the different components going on. So you will find fellowship and community when you join together and do something outside of yourselves. Actually, one of the things that we're doing with this life group campaign is every life group is going to come up with a service project for their group, right? Those who met last week, you started to discuss this. Every group is gonna come up with a service project and they're gonna do it together. And we put some suggestions down there, but you know, whatever each group wants to do, hopefully that'll be part of it. Level one, remind me, the first level of investment into the body of Christ is what? Level one was membership. I choose to belong. I say, I'm laying down roots. Level two is Friendship, I start to share, I open myself up and I allow others to invest in, in me and I invest in them. Level three is partnership, I do my part. Level four is where we all wanna get to. Level four is kinship. And kinship is loving like family. The word kin or kinship denotes the highest level of relationship and closeness possible on this earth. That's why when someone dies, they say next of kin, right? Next of kin, meaning the next closest person to this person. So my next of kin would be my wife, for example. And then if there's no wife, like who's the next closest person? Give me the next of kin. Kinship means loving like family. And this was the vision of God from the start that we as the body, we as the family of God would not just be individuals, but we would be a family. And something deeper would connect us. Verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. You'll notice on your handout, that there is no space to write down a next step here. There's nothing you can do or sign up for to foster this kinship relationship with the body of Christ because it's not something, it's family. It's nothing you can do. But what there is that you can do, it mean, what we need to do in order to get there is return to an understanding of what the church is. 
What we need to do is not sign up for something, but we need to understand the vision that God had from the start about what the church is, because that vision has been tainted in our me first generation of churches that we have now. And that's what a video I showed last week, where church is all about me, entertain me, show me this, give me a good song, give me a good message. It's all about me, 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 me. That is not at all the vision that God had for the church when he planned, when he planned the church. And in order to understand the vision of the church, where is the church? Where is the church complete? What I mean by that is draw me a picture that say where the church is fulfilling what it was meant to do. God had this high, high, high plan for the church. Where is that fulfilled? Is it fulfilled in, in if we have like a, a church spaghetti dinner? Is that the fulfillment of the church? Is the church fulfilled when we gather together and we go bowling? Is the church fulfilled when uh, we have a Bible study? When is the church fulfilled? We would say, as Orthodox Christians, we look at everything from a Eucharistic perspective, which means we look at it from the Eucharist, which means communion, which means like the liturgy, the table of the Lord. And we would say that the center of our life as the church, what makes us the church is not that we like each other. It's not that we're friends with each other. What makes us the church is the Eucharist, is that every Sunday we gather here around the table of the Lord and at that moment in time, God is present in a real way. And that's the pinnacle. That's where the church is, like to use an expression, which I spoke about on New Year's. That's the, where the church is or becomes who she already is. Okay. That's where the church is, who God intended her to be. And we say, I say her about the church because the church is not a building or institution. It's an organism, a living organism. That's why we say her. All right. The church is in its fullness, in her fullness, when we celebrate the Eucharist together. Okay, what happens when we celebrate the Eucharist together? St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, for, though, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Here with me, if you've never attended an Orthodox liturgy, the liturgy of the Eucharist, we take this piece of bread, okay, this is, not the one that we used this morning, but like the one that we used this morning. And this bread becomes for us the body of Christ. And what happens with this bread? Is this bread is up here on the table, and this bread is broken. And it's broken into many little pieces. Okay, this is just a regular piece of bread. Okay, which is, don't worry, it's not the one that's from this morning. And this bread is broken into many different pieces. Okay, we got a piece over here, and we got another piece over here, and all these pieces. But you know what? When we partake of this piece, we partake of the body of Christ. Because this piece of bread is nothing in and of itself. Its identity is as part of the whole. This piece of bread, which you receive, is united with this piece of bread right here. And if you, like what my point is, you cannot just come with your own piece of bread and say, I take my own piece of bread. If you want to unite with God, you must partake of this bread. And if you partake of this bread, and you partake of this bread, both of you, your definition, your identity is that you are now united together. Because how can it be that 200 of us are united together unless there is a unifying agent or a uniting agent who unites us together? So you unite with Christ, and you unite with Christ, and you unite with Christ, and if you equal Christ, and you equal Christ, and you equal Christ, then you equal each other as well. And your unity is with each other. That's the picture of what the church is. There's nothing that is in and of ourselves as people that can make us this kinship level. But it's our understanding 
that each one of us may be just, like if I bring you a piece of bread on the street, that's a piece of bread. But if I bring you this piece of bread right here that came from the table of the Lord, how valuable is that piece of bread? You know what the cost of this piece of bread was? It's the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And I'm telling you that as members of this church, each one is part of one bread, one body. Each one here is a piece. And each one here is a valuable piece. And if a piece was missing, the whole thing, that's why you see when we have communion, and actually it just happened right here, a little crumb, okay? A little crumb fell. This little crumb is infinitely valuable. You know why? Because it's part of the body. Part of the body. And that's how we are as a church as well. You know how I, I I'll give you a, a very personal and practical way that I learned this. And I can say this, but tell a story about a person who's not here out of the country right now, so I can say the story. Okay. It's my sister-in-law. Her name is Nadia. Many of you know her. I met Nadia before she and Steve got married. I don't know, whatever. I'm going to get in trouble here. Let's say five years ago they got married. Okay. Whatever year they got married. Okay. Whenever they got married. I met her, and she's a nice person. She's very, and no one, everyone knows her. She's a very nice person. But my understanding of Nadia, my relationship with her today, is very different than it was when I first met her. Right now, I say this because she's not here, I'd give my life for Nadia. I would give my life for her. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for Nadia. Not just because she, but here's the important part. It's not because she's a nice person. She is a nice person. But something happened when she married my brother, my understanding of her became that she's no more Nadia. She's my family. She's a piece of me. And as soon as she's a piece of me, then you know what? She needs anything, I drop everything and be right there. Because she's part of my family. There wasn't anything she did or anything I did that gave us this kinship relationship. And by the way, it's reciprocal. She would do anything for me, all right? She's the nicest person in the world. There isn't anything that happened that gave us this kinship relationship. But my understanding of who she is changed. And now all of a sudden I see her as she is my kin. She is my family. She's a piece of me because if she's one with my brother, then she's one with me and she's part of the family. And therefore, any kinds of separation, none of that stuff exists anymore. That's what we need in the church. This is why I can say this, even though many of you have never met. I can say, I love you. I say, I love each and every single person right here. And I love you with a way that you cannot imagine. And I say that with all honesty. And I'm not a nice person. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not by nature a loving, friendly person. That's why I married my wife, to be the nice one in the family, okay? But I can say it with all my heart, because I see you as a piece of me. And your problem is my problem. And my problem is your problem. If I got a problem, that's your problem. Because I'm standing up here, and if I got a problem, you're not going to be right. And if you got a problem, I'm not going to be right. And that didn't come from me spending hours and hours and hours talking with you or, or playing Xbox with you or going bowling with you or, or bingo night. Or, that didn't come from any of those activities. That came from an understanding a Eucharistic understanding of who we are as a church. We are family. Whether you like it or don't like it, we are family. Last verse, 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Why do you come to church? Most people would say I come to church to connect with God. Well, I'm here to tell you that you cannot connect to God without connecting to one another in his body. Because the church, you cannot separate the head from the body. You cannot separate the head from the body. So you say, I want to connect with Christ. You cannot connect through to Christ unless you connect with the body of Christ, which is his church. You want to know me and you want to connect with me intellectually. I stick up my hand. You shake my hand. You cannot know me apart from my hand. 
You cannot know me apart from my body. And the same thing with the rest of us here. If you disconnect from the church, you disconnect from God himself. Now, with that said, I'm not passing judgment. and I'm not saying that you're not Christian if you don't go to church. I'm not saying it that way at all, at all, at all. But what I am saying is you are not realizing the fullness of what God has in store for you. The fullness that you maybe get some nibbles and that's great. It's better to know little and nothing. But I'm saying the fullness of what God has envisioned for you is in the context of the body. Where we come together and we are one bread, we are one body. And every time we take communion together, we remember that we are more than just individuals. That we are members of the same body together. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, from the depth of our heart, we thank you that you've called us to be part of your body, your eternal body. You've made us worthy to stand here today in something that we don't understand, something which contains the fullness of him who fills all in all. Help us, Lord, to do our part and to take the next step in our relationship with your body, be it membership or friendship or partnership, or hopefully reaching that some point, someday that point of kinship with one another. Give us to, 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 to be invested in one another and invest in the community here and to reap those rewards in our own lives. We ask these things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much for coming. Um, if you didn't get a chance to sign up for Life Group,